Welcome to this week's episode of the Hot Topics podcast. I am Jack Hashman. And this week we are looking at a particularly disruptive fintech company called eToro. Now, before I let its CEO, Yoni Asia, explain exactly what it is that he does, it's probably best to get your head around exactly what fintech is. It's basically the word used to describe a financial services firm whose product or service is built around technology. This particular sector has seen absolutely crazy growth in recent years, and to be honest, a lot of banks are worried about it. The market share of all of these fintech startups may be minuscule, but with around $40 billion invested into the space in 2015 alone, it would appear that many investors believe that this sector has quite amazing promise. Now, here's Yoni to explain what eToro is. Okay, so basically Toro today is the largest social investment network in the world. We have 5 million users uh, on the platform where basically people open their trading account in eToro and then share their actual trading account uh, performance with everybody else. So when you join eToro, you can see thousands upon thousands of other traders, what they're doing in their platform, their three to five year track record and their actual portfolio location on eToro and you can communicate with them you can ask them questions, and our best feature is copy trader. You can actually copy the top traders on eToro, which uh, then become our popular investors. And when you copy somebody that basically uses the social media to actually generate a form of money management. Mm. So you copy a top trader uh, with $1,000, and it takes his entire portfolio, copies it to your $1,000, and every trade he does in his account gets done now in your account in a proportion amount, and at the same time, at the same price. So if he now makes 30% a year, you'll make 30% a year. So as you heard, the social element is the real differentiator with eToro, and it kind of democratizes a once pretty exclusive financial system that required an astute knowledge of how all of its parts work to be able to get involved in the first place. And the sheer complexity of the financial systems is why old infomercials just like this one were brought out to explain how the stock market worked to the general public. A buyer in Colorado wants to purchase some ODM stock. The buyer's broker in Colorado sees that the last ODM transaction was at $10 a share. The buyer could buy from 1 to 99 shares, which would be known as an odd lot. But a Colorado friend decides to invest in 100 shares, known as a round lot. The Colorado broker wires the order to his New York office. The buy order is telephoned to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. It is given to the firm's floor partner, who becomes the representative of the buyer in Colorado. The floor partner goes to the post where ODM stock is traded. The representative of the buyer in Colorado bids $10 a share for 100 shares. Pretty long-winded stuff. Now, you are probably wondering why the sudden explosion in this space, and you are absolutely right to wonder why. Yoni puts a lot of it down to the sharing economy, which is a sector estimated by PwC to be worth $15 billion a year. And that is a number projected to soar to $335 billion in 10 years' time. Now, undoubtedly, the sharing economy has the potential to change everything about how we access goods and services forever. All you have to do is look at Airbnb to see how they've disrupted the real estate industry. And banking is just the next sector that is particularly rife for disruption. I think, first of all, the sharing economy caught. So, you know, Facebook, Twitter is the beginning, but then suddenly you have Airbnb people sharing the real estate, right? So people understand they can monetize their assets, whether it's an apartment or their digital assets, 
like their financial portfolio because our popular investors actually get paid when other people copy them. The second thing is you see a huge trend of Generation Y and Generation X that are looking for something else. There's negative interest rates. Bankers and money managers don't promise you anything and you don't get there anything. And people expect a different user experience and are looking for new products. They don't trust the existing financial system anymore. They're actually keen to take on uh, new products uh, and new investments over the internet. Whether it's eToro in social trading or crowdfunding, people are thirsty to actually find these new things. Yeah. And what ha what's happening really over the, just the past two years is all of the world's largest banks are now figuring that out. They're looking at it and saying, these guys, the startup guys are, are coming for our lunch. Uh, so I'm very proud also we raised uh, recently $30 million from three of the largest banks in the world. Uh, and I'm, I'm surprised to see how fast they're reacting. So they're understanding something happening and they're actually helping to fuel the ecosystem. And it's an ecosystem. So whether you, you've invested in P2P lending or crowdfunding or opened an eToro account or bought some real estate and, uh, pro and property partners, yeah. it's all about suddenly you telling your friend, I'm doing something cool with my money over the internet. Now, admittedly, eToro's success does all sound like an utter fairy tale, but Part of being an entrepreneur is really being able to contend with failure and bouncing back when people, however senior or experienced may be, tell you that your idea just isn't going to work. And there's certainly no shortage of examples of this. Look at Richard Branson, for example, the founder of Virgin. He has actually started around 100 different companies, and quite obviously the majority of them have failed, including a condom brand called Mates, which in hindsight seems somewhat bizarre. Then you've got the founder of PayPal, Peter Thiel, whose hedge fund lost nearly $7 billion in assets. Even J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter series, which is now worth about $21 billion, was rejected by a number of publishing houses before Bloomsbury decided to take a punt at it. It really does come to show that it's the way you deal with that initial rejection that can become truly telling of an entrepreneur. Yoni had to deal with rejection too. Like every good startup, everybody told us we're idiots. Uh, so, first of all, every, when we started eToro within the finance space, we were dismissed completely as idiots. Uh, no one from the traditional finance space uh, that, back at 2007, right? This was, these people had no idea that Facebook and Twitter existed. No one believed people would share their trading portfolios online. No one. They told me that's an unachievable goal. Nobody would share. 99% of the users on eToro share their portfolio, although they can opt out and say that they don't. Mm -hmm. So originally from the finance space, we were completely dismissed. I think the, the tech space, back then, the VCs started looking at it and said, it's interesting. We got great partners at the beginning, great, uh, great funding from great partners. But still, you know, you raise money. I think I met probably 30 different potential investors in my first round. Still the majority of VCs back then didn't at all believe in finance. Mm -hmm. they, they said finance is not for technology companies. Finance is something else. It's a different industry. We can't penetrate this industry. Mm -hmm. That's also, by the way, a huge shift. Uh, fintech investments over the past two years soared uh, to the highest ever uh, sums. And, and, and I think in the past 
18 months, there's more investments in fintech ever done in the history of fintech. I think, first of all, pe- like most people bank forever with the same bank. Uh, most people choose the bank either that their parents banked in or the closest to their house. That's, n- that's generally not something you do with anything you like, like music. You wouldn't listen to the local music because they're playing in a local bar. You wouldn't go only to a local restaurant or only the restaurants your parents went to. Or, or you wouldn't listen to them in music and fashion. You'd probably even do the opposite. Finance is very scary. People are scared of finance. They, they, they think it's, uh, it's boring, it's complicated, uh, it's intimidating. And I think that's the biggest challenge is the change which is now happening in the consumer state of mind, which is increasing its risk appetite to try new things. Um, I think in restaurants, it's quite obvious for you to try new restaurants, right? If you'd meet somebody and he told me, I, I go to the same restaurant every week. That's the only restaurant I ever go out to for the past 20 years. And the reason I do that is because that's what my parents did. You, you generally think he's crazy, right? Th- that's, that's how finance looks like today. And I think what's happening now, Generation Y, which are used to install 100 apps on their phone, but even Generation X that are already using a lot of new technologies realize that it's not different using new technologies for finance than it is using new technologies uh, for, for anything else. This is something particularly true in China, where fintech disruption is occurring on a much, much larger scale. It's being led by China's big tech companies, who are all powered by big data, informed by automated feedback loops from customer activity, and driven by business experimentation rather than IT. All this is happening whilst being protected from global competition through China's use of the Great Firewall. So you've got Baidu, Alibaba and Tencent, who are all highly scaled internet and mobile platforms that also have an IT architecture prime for digital banking. So basically, these are the world's first true digital banks. Compare this to Western banks pursuing digital transformation projects that are dependent on a community that may or may not understand their direction of change. They might be capable of anticipating the big disruptors and using that knowledge to future-proof their clients' platforms and systems. But in effect, banks are operating in a way that makes them really vulnerable to disruption from businesses just like eToro, who have recently expanded out to China. I think, first of all, China, so one of our latest investors is uh, the largest independent financial institution in China called Ping An, worth about $120 billion. So a very big company, bigger than Barclays. And... What we're learning, first of all, China is actually significantly more progressive than the West in the convergence of the internet mm-hmm. and financial services. Yeah. So you have the three biggest internet companies in China, Baidu, Tencent, and Alibaba. They all have now their own financial services arms. Google, Facebook, and Amazon don't really have consumer-facing financial services arms. In China, that already happened, which means the big banks like Ping An now need to compete with the largest internet companies. These internet companies each have more than 500 million active users every month, right? So now suddenly a bank needs to compete with those companies. So, so the, it's a very different environment. They're running really, really fast. Uh, and it's a completely different culture. So we're adapting our product to, to the Chinese market. And uh, obviously everything is suddenly in Chinese, 
which is complex as it is, but when we went there, people told me, you know, beware, it's going to be complex. China is upside down. Uh, everything there is upside down. I thought that it was a metaphor. What I learned that, that at least in the trading markets, that's the truth. So everything in our platform is green goes up. When the markets go up, everything flashes green. When the markets go down, everything flashes red. In China, it's the opposite. So red means up, red means positive, and green means negative. Our logo in China is red. Our logo in the West is green. So, so it's that deep to sort of adapt to the Chinese culture. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for this week. But I would like to thank you very much for listening. Now, if you can't wait for next week's episode, I'd like you to head over to Hot Topics HT for more content just like this. And also, if you have any ideas, comments, obscenities, or even a funny meme, just about anything, drop me an email at jack at hottopics.ht. Thank you very much. Goodbye.